I told the uh, first audience, I'm like, hey, this is, I'm not crying, you're crying. I flew in, I live in Lubbock, but I flew in from Midland because yesterday was my first granddaughter's first birthday. And yes, you can awe that. Um, it just makes me more passionate about what I want to share with you. Because I wanted to know Jesus. And I need you to help me. I, you may have noticed there's a lot of awkward hugs. And uh, it's, I'm, I'm a hugger, right? Brother Stormont. Um, Brother Jonathan, excuse me. By the way, how many of y'all have been called Brother Something by Jonathan Stormont? Yeah, it, it gives me a little post-traumatic stress because usually when people say brother, I'm about to get in trouble about some theological issue. So um, <laughs> Brother Jonathan and I are huggers. And it, it's amazing the community in this room, whether it's Bad Brad, Casey, other people that were just, it's, it's great to be part of the family of God. Amen? Amen? It's good to be able to walk into a room and not be alone. I'm telling you, and some of you who are younger and young people, I don't even know how to explain this, but I can't go nowhere without the family of God showing up. Sometimes I just want to get away. It's not that I don't love you, but you just want to be alone with your spouse. So I want a cruise ship in Galveston, Texas. And the ship in front of us had a friend of ours. And they said, go to the front of the ship. We'll go to the back. So we're at the front of the ship. They're at the back. And we're waving at them. And I look at my wife. We're going to be alone for seven days. And then I hear, Pastor Dave. (laughs) That's a gift. That is a gift. And it's something that sets the foundation of what we're going to talk about. One of my students got married the other day. And I didn't even understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm old. So the grandparent came in and he looked at me and he goes, David. And it was a guy named Paul from Paul's Park. Y'all don't even know this, but he's Paul Parks. It's a big deal in Lubbock. And he, was, he would sell like lawnmowers dressed like Santa Claus during Christmas. It was him, white beard and everything. First job I ever had in ministry in 1989. He was Paul of Paul's Parks. And now he's a grandparent at a wedding I was going to. I was on my honeymoon. And Paul was on the same plane. You can't get away from us. And it's one of our greatest gifts and greatest strengths. This marks the 35th year, this summer, 35 years of doing youth ministry. So either I'm called to this or I have a problem. I think I'm called to it. I still hang out with junior high kids. I walked into the youth room, not because I was supposed to be there, okay? Great communion talk. He has no idea about this building. I was 15 minutes late to room 200 because 200 was supposed to be over here. So we went upstairs. He's like, this isn't room 200. So we went into dark areas of the church. Security didn't stop us. Jonathan, fix it. So whatever happened, we had a good time getting to know each other better. So I walk into the youth room. You saw what I did. It's just kind of my DNA. I just walked right in the middle of kids. How are you doing? It's good to see you. They're like, who is this old grandpa? I know that's what they're thinking. I'm like, hey, I'll talk to you this afternoon. See you later. I'm lost. And I walked away. Well, I'm that senile man, okay? I wasn't lost. He was. This is what I do because I'm passionate about it. I want my sweet Olivia Rose to have a group of people that will be involved in her life like you're involved in mine because we need the body of Christ. Amen? 
So in those 35 years, things have changed. Now, when I first started youth ministry, we didn't have screens. We didn't have, and I just found out from Josh back there, I'm still a PowerPoint guy. Now we're pro presenter. We've got to have moving screens, right? And I told him, he goes, do you need some kind of slides? No, I'm just going to talk and use a sticky thing like this. He's like, okay. Some of y'all don't even know how to listen to a sermon without slides. And I'm not even doing this yet. We have so many resources. Back in the day, and y'all know this because you're from Arkansas, we would build fires when it's 100 degrees, bazillion degrees. Because that's what the Lord wanted us to do. We'd sing around campfires. We didn't have air conditioning. And what was worse is if anyone saw your knees, you would go straight to hell. So we had to wear pants in the summer. (laughs) That's why they're laughing. It's post-traumatic stress. It's like there's something sensual about a lady's ankles. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That's how we did camp. Don't judge. And so... We sang this song. See if you remember. We're holding hands around the fire. We're sunburned. We're sobbing. We haven't even sang Friends or Friends Forever yet. We haven't sang Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Yet, yeah, well, we're having church up in here. All of a sudden, somebody would sing, It only takes a spark to get... I knew this was a church. So here's what would happen. At the very end, there's this verse. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. Yeah, that's what would happen. Everybody would like, can we say praise God? I, we're holding hands and singing. And I think I saw somebody raise their hands and that person clapped. So, I mean, I don't, can we say praise God? And the youth minister would stop and say, if you really love the Lord, you have friends back there that need to know this. And he would sing it again. I'll shout it from the mountaintops. Are you sure you praise God? They're dying out there, folks. We need to let them know. And he'd start crying. We'll shout it from the mountaintops. Now, I actually took my youth group to the mountains where fire made sense. Okay, so we went up there and we had a lot of fun. You know, when I started in youth ministry and we'd sing. And it would just echo off the mountains. So I would sing it two or three different times. And you would hear this. Shout it from the mountaintops. Praise God, 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 God. I want, oh, it was great moments. And we cried. Then we would take a ball of yarn. How many of y'all remember the ball of yarn? Little different denominations in Arkansas. We'd take a ball, ball of yarn, and, and I would give some of it to Jonathan. Jonathan, you would have the ball of yarn. You'd throw it to me. Thank you. And then, where are you, bad Brad? Then I would take it, and I'd throw it to Brad, and I'd say, Brad, while you hold on and I hold it, see, we're making a web. Get this? See? And I'd say, Brad, I know I've only owned you for three days and I don't know you very well, but you're my best friend, man. I'm going to be there for you. And he would start crying. I would start crying. He's hyperventilating, crying. No videos were used. I mean, it was just like we would share our hearts and Brad would throw it over to Casey and Casey would, and the next thing you know, we start having this web. And then the youth minister would say, David, let go of yours. And I would let go and it'd just go, bloop. And he would say, without David... This web is a little less secure. we got to hold on to each other as we go back to the world. It was great youth ministry. And then we sang Friends are Friends Forever. Then we would cry and we would go back to the world. That was youth ministry. There is so much that has changed. That's good. I cannot speak to students without videos, 
without something. I can take those dogs and ponies and light their tails on fire and kind of keep their attention. It's a lot of fun. I remember the first time that we sang youth group songs in church. This was a big deal. I don't see any songbooks in the pews. Do we have songbooks? Did I see them? Exactly. I will remember this and write you up. So here's what happened. No songbook. <laughs> so we would take the camp songs that around that campfire and we'd make overhead projectors. Do y'all remember those overheads? Don't laugh. And we would, uh, we had no screens except when missionaries came in and we would have that little you know, missionary show and we'd put a screen on the stage. And th- this is, I don't know what's going on. So we had um, the wall, our only white wall, we would call them off the wall songs and we would project them and we would sing. And then a deacon that was a little bit on the left side would take color transparencies, turn the lights down, and then we had to have an elders meeting. That's what we, where we started. You're like, you're laughing at things that make me uncomfortable. I'm 54, have a doctorate, gray hair, getting ready to meet Jesus, and I'm a grandpa. I can say it now. It's funny, but we loved it. Today, fast forward to 2023, we have books, we have training. We offer degrees at all of our schools. We talk about developmental studies. We talk about cultural studies. We place that practical theology into programming. We train our young men and women to be cultural missionaries, to go into that world and carry this message of Jesus down and try to implant it right there in their hearts to assist you. And we still, here's the numbers today, we still lose half of our young people. They don't go to another church with another name on it. They're walking away from Christianity. They see what we're buying and they're like, no, thank you. They don't see it as useful. They don't see it as authentic. And that keeps me going in what I do. I spent a lot of time at Fuller Seminary. It's where I got my doctorate in 2000. Um, Eight, when Jonathan and I were working together, I spent an entire summer. I'd been at the church one year and I had a research fellowship. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm more of a Greek guy. But I just, I wanted to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. There was something about this. And I knew out of all of our programming, we're still, some of y'all will say, no thank you and walk away. What is the core? What is going on? How can we be a more sticky community? And I love the way Eugene Peterson does his paraphrase, because I think it captures what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. And here's what Deuteronomy 6 reads. Attention, Israel. God, our God, God the one and only, love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love Him with all that's in you. Love Him with all you've got. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside of your children. Let me read that part again. Get them inside of you and then get them inside of your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. Tie them on your hands and foreheads as reminders. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your homes and on your city gates. You're like, dude, Dave, my whole house, you should see my wife. We are Home Depot interior Jesus like right here Hobby Lobby. (laughs) Scripture all over the place. That's what the people of Israel thought this meant. 
So if you go to the ancient dwellings, you'll see a lot of scripture, but it's more than that. to, To dwindle it all down is this. Our children are watching us. When we walk, when it's morning, when it's night, when it's during the day, they are learning about the authenticity and the usefulness of faith from our lead. And the amazing thing about Deuteronomy 6, mom and dad is not even mentioned in this verse. They're included. This is not a verse to mom and dad. So if you are a grandparent, you're like, I'm through with those years. Have fun with that. Those kids have blue hair. So do you. A little slow. Guess what? You're still in youth ministry. Because somebody's watching your lead. It's really not that complicated. What we're looking at is the parents and surrounding community of adults are expected, not asked, but expected to model what it means to be a fully devoted follower of God. Now you're like, well, I don't understand this. Are they old enough to understand? Are you sure? Did you see what happened when this brother, misguided as he was, said that Cincinnati was going to beat the Chiefs? Did you hear what happened in here? Some little kid. The Chiefs are the best. How do they know it? Do you see what we're doing? They have no idea. Do you know what? Who said it? What defense does uh, what defense does Cincinnati run? How are you going to beat Patrick Mahomes? Oh, I'm talking to you. See, they don't know. Here's the deal: we take our kids and we like. Take them to games and go, you are a Chief fan. You are a Bengals fan. They don't even know what's going on. They can be like, ah, slobbering everywhere and you put clothes on them. You're like going, because we are a family of Chiefs. Why don't we do that with faith? We live in a world that's like, we've got to let them decide for themselves. We've got to, everybody hold on. They're even watching that lead. We love socialization. That's why Jesus calls his sheep. We're all part of this. So what are we socializing our kids to? They are watching our leads. How we speak about politics. How we speak about people that cut us off. How we speak about church leadership. How we speak about coaches. How we speak about teachers. How we speak about other families that disagree with us. How we speak, just here it is. As we go along, every single day they're watching our lead. We are the biggest thing in their lives that will teach them about the Lord. Amen? Some of us don't want to say amen because I'm a parent too. Have you ever gone up to your kid after they've had a kid and say, hey, uh, son or daughter, um, do you remember that time that this happened? And they go, no. And you're like, okay. They're just asking and you walk away. Because you know it's true. There is pain in this room. You're like, Dave, my kids don't even go to church anymore. I'm not here to beat you down. I'm saying there's an opportunity still. And we are still the best commercial for the usefulness and authenticity of faith. Burke, where are you, babe? Come on up. Give Burke a hand. 
Mark, we're going to play catch. Go on and go on over there. Here, come here a second. You popping your collar? Yeah, you are. 80s. Okay, here we go. You ready? Why are you laughing? You're doing a pretty good job. Oh, oh. Uh, okay. Why don't you pick that up? Don't throw the heat. Just throw it. Okay, here we go. That matches. I don't even know. Don't even. Okay, you ready? Oh, you, uh, we got it. Yeah. Okay, do you know how to use that? Don't catch it. Catch it. Do it the other way. Okay, there we go. Look at that. Get, still got to use your other hand. You ready? Oh, wow. What? Wait, wait, wait. wait. That scared me too. <laughs> okay. That's good. You ready? You ready? Good. All right. Pretty good. Ready? Whoop. You ready? Okay. Hold on. Watch. Oh. Whoa. Give him a hand. There you go. And it's a gift. Oh, you can have it. Just don't use it during church. Keep popping that collar. Now, here's what happens. Was it easier, Burke, with that sticky mitt thing or with your bare hands? Uh, probably with the sticky thingy. Yes! Good job. Spiritual formation, my friends, is a serious game of pitching and catching. Sometimes we, we throw things we don't even know we're throwing. Sometimes we throw it too fast. Sometimes we, it, it, you know, if you parrot it, you're like... Do this, and the kid's like doing something else, and you're like, I'm speaking English, I'm looking right at you, do this. I, I mean, that's part of the game. It's a serious game of pitching and catch to take this ancient story that we believe that we've sung about and place it in the hearts of our children. Not only your children, but every kid that comes into PV. Because that's Deuteronomy 6's command to us. That we are to impress upon our children their God after it getting inside of us. Now here's the factor. I can take ponies and like their tails and do all kinds of weird stuff and get people's attention. But I cannot out teach what happens in your home and what happens in the surrounding adult community. I'm not that good. So research will show that the number one influencer of a kid's spirituality is still mom and dad. Very close to that is the surrounding adults that you put in your kid's life. Now watch this, parents. A distant third are people like me that this is what we do professionally. We are a gateway drug to those relationships. Way down here are influences of friends and culture. What do we spend all of our time on? This world is so different. You be careful of your friends. Most of those kids just hang out with kids that are good, bad. They're just still kids on the bell curve. Where's my educators? Kids are still on that bell curve, but we freak out on both ends. Most kids are just right here, right? The number one spiritual indicator if a kid's going to get that faith or not is still mom and dad and the adults that you let hang around with your kid. That's number one and two. Very close. And then programming's three and friends are a distant third. So at Fuller, when we started looking at these 50% kids who were not remaining faithful, we wanted to know, okay, what about the kids who were making it? Instead of looking on the negative side, 
what is the positive side? And we found a few things that became known as Sticky Faith and then the Growing Young curriculum and the Growing Young mindset that your church has been a part of. But I want to share three things. And I'm telling you what, it's going to be underwhelming. Three things that the kids who made it had. Number one, you can write it down if you want, but it's pretty simple. Relationships with parents, youth leaders, and church members. Everything we've been talking about. If you have a relationship, parent, church leader, and church members with the Lord, and then you have a relationship with the students in your life, young and old, exactly what you just promised them, they were going to be here for them, they have a tendency to think, I think this stuff is useful. This stuff has changed my life because there's a relationship component to it. Shake your head if you understand. Now, you know it's true. No offense. You have one of the best preachers I've ever heard. But think for a moment. How many of his lessons have moved you from point A to point B? Just think of, think of a number. Just think for a second. I'll wait. Now, how many adults can you think of that moved you from point A to point B? You're probably in this room because an adult did something. An adult had a conversation. An adult was part of your life. A few weeks ago, my youth minister retired. The one that helped my parents informing me, the reason I'm on this stage, the one who baptized you, the one that made sense out of the theology I was taught. It's an amazing man, Philip Nichols. Now, here's the cool part about that. In that church family that was very small when it first started, was, it was a guy named Bobby. And Bobby is one of the earliest old dudes I remember. He was one of our church shepherds. Hard to believe. I was a talker, okay? I was that kid that would get in trouble in the elementary school class and have to go and sit in the supply room. <laughs> Thumped on the back of the head more than once for talking and using encouragement cards for doodling, which is with the golf pencils. So that's, that's, again, Bobby would come up to me just for fun and he would say, David, go put rocks in your pocket and jump in the lake. And we had a lake in Louisville. I'm like, okay. And he would just laugh and my parents would laugh. Last year I was preaching in that same church at 53 years of age. And Bobby's just crying. And I hugged him and he said, David, I'm glad you didn't put rocks in your pocket and jump in the lake. <laughs> Do you know what that means to me? To have Bobby Blankenship in my corner, who's been messing with me for my earliest memories. So when Philip retired, Bobby was there, and I just held on to him because my dad's been gone since I was 22. And I just held on to him and I just said, Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. And we took a picture together. And I keep that picture. And I said, I talked about you all the time because you did it right. He doesn't even know. He was a gas meter reader. But he showed an interest in a young man. And he still remembered the way he would joke with me. People, the relationships, parents, youth leaders, church members, get to know these guys. They are crazy fun. Today's teenagers, they don't even show you how to tweet. Start an Instagram for PV. Extra credit. Teach them how to snap, teenagers. That would be fun. Grandma snaps all over the web. Be that person that is sticky in a kid's life. Next thing is this. And I know that you've been taught this, but sticky factor number two of the kids who made it is they had a healthy view 
of the gospel. A healthy view. That it was more about transformation than not going to hell. It was more about transformation than just morality. That there was something about it that had depth. That what Jesus did on the cross not only takes care of eternity, but it helps me navigate the here and now. And when we started asking students what they thought about the gospel and the research towards sticky faith, the majority of students didn't even mention Jesus in their answer. They would say something like this. After the list of behaviors, they would say they believe God will like them better if they can follow a list of do's and don'ts based on keeping their own sin in check. That's not the gospel. That's sin management. So I wrote a statement. I want you to listen. So I don't want to be misunderstood. Friends, if my understanding of the gospel and its validity to save me is based on my goodness and ability to wear a seatbelt, vote conservative, watch my language, stay away from cats, and dress appropriately at church, I'm in trouble. At some point, students raised with this behavior-based gospel come in contact with the ugliness of the world and or experience personal moral failure. And when this happens, a behavior-based gospel leaves a student feeling lost, hopeless, and alone to deal with their sin. I've taught at Lipscomb, I've taught at ACU, I've taught at LCU. Our tribe, schools, general Bible, I love it. And a lot of students come to us with this understanding. And so they're away from home and they make a mistake. And the first thing they think is, I can't go home because I'll be judged. Something's wrong, the gospel is broken. Because why did I fail morally? And we need more adults who are the father of the prodigal. And they turn their face towards the sin instead of saying, I told you so. It's so difficult. And I'm especially sad to do funerals of people who are afraid to die. Because they still are wondering in the back of their mind, have I done enough good things to go to heaven? Brace yourself. Here's the answer. No. Well, he's not encouraging at all. No. That's why we needed Jesus and our God to come be Emmanuel God with us and to walk among us, not only to take care of our sins, but to transform us as victors and not just worms, as one author says, with wings on it. We are transformed individuals. That's the gospel. So David, are you saying that you should let our children not wear seatbelts, vote liberal, use bad language, own cats, and wear shorts to church? Here's what I'm saying. John 15 is pretty clear. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not, if you keep my commandments, I will think about loving you. I was raised with the latter. How about you? It's amazing when we read our Bible because we had track racks. Young people, it was amazing. You didn't even have to go to your phone. I am concerned about lust. Track. I'm trying to figure out, should I go to the school dance? Track. What about mechanical instruments? Track. I'm not making fun of that, but we had all of the answers. And so what I thought was, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We stopped reading and then here's our whole list of them. And the older I get, like you, I'm like, I'm having a hard time keeping these commandments. So I thought maybe my somehow my salvation hung in the balance if I don't get all of this right. Can I have a show of hands for anyone who shared this journey with me? Woo! 
Aren't you glad to hear a healthy view of the gospel? When you read the Bible, Jesus answers his own question. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is my command. Love one another. Throw the ball of yarn, people. Relationships. Reminding each other that we were once lost, but now we're found. That it's all right to die. But it's also all right to live in a way that honors and pleases God. Now I'm motivated. Because sometimes it's hard. Young people, watch this. Adults, how many times have you come to church and you're not even singing because you don't feel like it? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Raise it. Thank you. How many times you go to church and somewhere your pain is so deep and you've been praying and in the back of your mind you're wondering, does God actually listen to prayer? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a hospital room watching someone die going, why is this happening? It doesn't seem fair. Raise your hand. Oh, isn't that real? There's a reason that a third of the Psalms in our Bible, a third are Psalms of lament and question and pain and they're very real saying psalm 77 god have you forgotten me have you forgotten your loving kindness where are you i can't sleep i stretch out at night i'm so worried i can't even sleep that's in the bible praise god it's in the bible because that's when our jesus shows up that's when the body shows up Without, without answers, but maybe presence. And all of a sudden, the gospel becomes real. It's not a feeling. It's not a set of moral behaviors. All of that is affected by it. But that's not the gospel. Our students need to know that any behavior-based change is a response to the grace of the gospel. Look what Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now, and I love this, stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Woo! Young people! If God loves us so much, why is there suffering in the world? Long different story, but there's a lot of consequences to stupid decisions. That's my reductionistic theological professional opinion. But God never wastes pain because of the gospel. So we can even rejoice in the sufferings, Paul said. Because here's what we do with all that suffering. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the church attenders? Hold on. Let me look at my Bible. Okay, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the daily Bible readers. Oh no. Okay, hold on. So embarrassed. Christ died for those who sang in a songbook. Mm. Christ died for those without a praise team. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a person someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates 
His own love for us in this. While we were still, while we were still, while we were still, Christ died for us before you ever became fifth generation PV. Before you ever walked through these doors going, what's wrong with these people? They're too friendly. Before you ever said a prayer, before you ever joined a certain political affiliation, before you had a certain skin color, before you had a certain uh, ethnicity, before you had a certain socioeconomic background, he died for us all. Woo! I'm glad. Because my pedigree ain't enough. Do you know what it means when it says Christ died while we were still sinners? Exactly what he says it means. There's nothing I can give to the Lord that will make Him love me more or less. That's been God's face towards us since Adam and Eve sinned and were naked and He gave them clothes. Since Cain killed Abel and He gave him a mark. Before He put Noah on the ark. Before He gave Abraham a son. Before Moses was drawn out of a river. And before little Mary gave birth to a child. God has always been for us. Healthy gospel. Our students need to hear that. Because you will mess up. And we'll be there. Right, church? Right, church? So the last thing I want to share with you, and this could be difficult, it's a sticky thing, is the idea to, to express and explore doubts. Our students have to have a place. If they have a relationship with us and they have firmly been stuck in this community, if they've heard a healthy gospel and they know that any behavior-based change is based on the Holy Spirit's uh, transformation work in my life because I've been justified and that changes my life and we're working together and we're getting more holy every day together. If that's the case, then we have to give a space for our students to express and explore doubt. Because there's a lot. This world is not like the world we grew up in. And if that's the case, then our students need to have the freedom to ask questions about that world. Whether it has to do with faith matters or creation or not. You know how easy that is now? We don't even really have students to deal with. Well, I wonder if the evolution or creation. That is low-hanging fruit these days. The question that even the young parents ask in our first listening session, what do we do with same-sex attraction stuff? That's going to be one of the big questions. And if you're like, did he just say that? Are you, why, is he Jonathan's friend? Why did he bring him in? Elders meeting. You know, if that happened, guess what? If we don't have that, where we can express and explore doubt and talk about those things, kids are going to pick up the phone and say, hello, Siri, tell me. It is so important. That's just one issue. But that we're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of doubt. How many of you, again adults, have had a question or doubt about faith? Raise your hand. Well, having church up in here today. There it goes again. We all have. It can be difficult to express and explore that doubt. But if we cannot do it in the body of Christ, where can we do it? We have to have a radical, incredible community of believers. You're like, well, Dave, this stuff's bad. Sometimes there's bad. Tell that to Paul in Corinth. Let's talk about a messed up church. They had factions everywhere. They were getting drunk during the Lord's Supper. That's a lot of small cups, folks. There's a lot of stuff going on. 
But here's the part that gets me as an adult now. Never once, never once, never once does Paul tell them not to deal with their issues. He says, if that person won't change and that person won't deal with their issues, fine. But we are professionals about cutting each other off. Can't do that in the body of Christ. Not if we want to retain our young people. So create environments where they can express and explore doubt and let's share wisdom together as these young people are raising their youngins, as our older kids are trying to navigate. Those are just three things. So let me end with this. Then we're going to have a wonderful blessing. Two questions. To all of us here today, how is our pitching? If we are the ones entrusted to live such a life before these young people that they see clearly their God, how much of my testimony is truly useful, is truly authentic in navigating this life? That's enough to keep you up at night, right, mom and dad and grandparents? But it's a serious question. Here's a verse that did not make it to vacation Bible school. Matthew 18, 6. If anyone, Jesus says, causes a little one to stumble, those who believe in me, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. I think he's sincerely interested in our influence upon the next generation. That's some strong language. So when I go off in my car about something and my wife goes, David! Somebody's listening. When I preach and I say something, there's young ears listening. When I teach in a class, someone's listening, right? I have to take serious the faith that I'm pitching to the next generation. And the last question, this is for all of us. Because if you're listening online or you're here and you're like, yeah, that's right, my parents made me come, it's Blessing Sunday. I'm the radical crazy aunt. I'm the radical crazy uncle and I'm here and the building's going to burn because everybody's like, why are you in church? I'm glad you're here. And we apologize for times. I'm apologizing. None of us are faithful. We know the perfect one, but I know this church and I know the leaders of this church and they're trying to pitch right down the middle so you can catch the simplicity of the love of God for your life. Amen? This community is trying But I'm going to ask you, because you also are responsible for your catching. Catch. Before you throw it out and say, well, they don't like all this religious stuff, at least study it. At least let someone visit with you. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 So how's your pitching? How's your catching? Father, thank you so much for PV. Thank you for its history. Thank you for the way that it continues to look deeply and the ways to raise up the next generation. Father, I stand on the shoulders of so many individuals that even though the programs have changed and the methods have changed, thank you so much that I clearly saw your love for me and that I have relationships and I was given freedom to express and explore things with these adults. Father, help all of us do that in a world that seems to have gone crazy, in a world that seems to be so confusing to many of us. Father, you are the same yesterday, today, and you'll be the same tomorrow. Let us rest in the assurance that even though the world goes crazy at times, we are in your hand, we are your people, we have an identity, and for that we are thankful. And all who agree say, Amen. Amen.